of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello. I'd like to stop beginning these podcasts in the same way as always, but I would just point out when we podcasted on Thursday, what I had said was that Williams Estadio hit his first home run of winter ball on, yeah. uh, on November 15th, which was Thursday. And now when I go to his, uh, his, his page, it shows two games for November 15th. I don't know if they played a doubleheader. I don't know if there are doubleheaders in the Venezuelan Winter League. It does look like he played twice on November 11th. So take these numbers maybe with a grain of salt. But I will point out that two games against Magallanes on November 15th. In one game, Estadia went two for four with zero strikeouts and one home run. And in the other game, he went two for two with zero strikeouts and two home runs. Looks like maybe Williams Estadio hit three home runs on Thursday. Huh. I would be surprised, and I don't have box scores here, but would he he wouldn't have caught both games with a doubleheader, would he? That would be Seems well, unlikely. I don't know what they do. Yeah, well, I don't know. But wow, a three home run day possibly for Williams Estadio. Mm. That's worth starting a podcast with Williams Estadio, I think. <laughs> So uh, most of this podcast is going to be a conversation with Carson Sestouli, outgoing managing editor of Fangraphs and host of Fangraphs Audio. He has been hired by the Toronto Blue Jays in a pro scouting role, and we will miss him, but uh, we will talk to him before he leaves. And he is being replaced by Meg Rally in both capacities, so that is the good news. More Meg. Bad news is less Carson. He will be missed. Agreed. I know when when somebody leaves an outlet or some company and then people who work for that company will say how much they'll miss that individual's presence uh, that they felt in ways that the public isn't exposed to. And, and what I will, I've, I've known Carson for a while. And, you know, you don't really develop that close of a working relationship with your colleagues when you work remotely or you're all over the country or the countries, as it were. Carson has worked from as far away as France sometimes, but... <laughs> The 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 inter- people who write on the internet are they they frequently find their level, if you will. They find out that they they are people who are meant to be writers on the internet and not interacted with in person necessarily. <laughs> Many of us are introverts or people who just have a low tolerance for for interpersonal communication. But uh, Carson Carson would probably describe himself as an introvert too. But for the few fangraphs get-togethers that we would do a year, maybe that's one or two or three. Carson was just always uh, the, just kind of the, the shining light, the beacon, sort of a, I wouldn't say social butterfly, but I remember we were at a spring training get-together in Arizona a few years ago, and David Appleman would get basically like rent a restaurant for the night. <laughs> we would uh, go to this pizza place, and then Carson would get himself nice and nice and toasty, and then he, he just got up and gave a rousing, touching speech out of the blue. Nobody asked him to give a toast. I don't know if he was even uh, requested that or appreciated that he... That he give a toast, but he effectively toasted Fangraphs, and it was all, 
It was always very warm and pleasant. I will miss the sound of his voice and his uh, his chuckle. And he was uh, yes one of a one of a kind among baseball internet, unmistakably and undeniably one of a kind. Yeah, I was sorry not to get him, not to nab him first, because I was at Baseball Prospectus when he kind of came to the public baseball world's attention, and I wanted to hire him at the time, and uh, he ended up at Fangraphs, which was much to Fangraphs' benefit, but I met him early on at some gathering or another, and uh, definitely a distinctive personality, and uh, that comes through very much when you read him and listen to him. So you will listen to him very shortly. But before you do, a couple quick things. We didn't talk about this yesterday when we talked about the MVP voting results, but I figured we should just devote a minute maybe to, I think, the 11th place finisher on the NL MVP ballot who... I know I don't need to persuade you of his merits because you write about them regularly, but evidently we need to persuade the public or the voters because Anthony Rendon, yet again, not a great showing in the MVP voting. And if you look at Fangraph's war, I believe he was the second most valuable position player this year in Fangraph's war. I mean, he is good every year. He's replaced probably whoever the previous most underrated secretly valuable player in baseball was i don't know who it mm-hmm. was but it's probably not that person anymore it's anthony rendon so let's see we've got chris haft of mlb.com who was the lone voter to put rendon as high as sixth place he got an eighth place vote from mark zuckerman of mass and sports maybe not a coincidence and then there were uh there were five ninth place votes three tenth place votes these things don't really matter but rendon was down there around uh he was two points ahead of ronald acuna jr he was five points ahead of Arenola, two points or <laughs> 38 points i'm sorry behind max scherzer it's hard you you look up the list and every single player above anthony rendon is great that is not a coincidence these are all very great players but yeah i, I don't know usually when you have a player like Rendon, you say, well, here's the most underrated player in baseball, then not too much more time passes, and that player is properly rated. Yeah. For some reason, I'm having trouble thinking of other guys who have who've fit that mold, but like Lorenzo Cain yeah. was pretty underrated for a while. Like AJ Sobrist Hulk. for a while, was he? Sobrist right? definitely yeah. was mm-hmm. sort of like the, the dawn of the war era. Ben Zobrist, yeah. people would look at that and think, there's no way, but he right. was do it over and over. So Ben Zobers is underrated. Then he got his big contract. Anthony Rendon will one day sign a large contract. There's no question. Isn't he represented by Scott Boris? But he continues to be the most underrated great player in baseball. He is a great player. He's just so good across the board. He's bad at nothing. Even the durability questions are kind of behind him for the most part. So Rendon is great. One of the big reasons why the Nationals, even if they lose Bryce Harper, are going to be fine because it turns out, it turns out, Anthony Rendon is probably better than Bryce Harper is as a baseball player. Yeah, perhaps substantially. <laughs> At least he has been recently. I I don't know why he I mean I guess it's the usual reason why he doesn't get more publicity, right? He's just, as you said, he's good at everything, but not really the best at anything. So that's kind of the recipe for one of these underrated guys. Like he he walks, he does not strike out. He's a really, really good contact hitter and yet also has excellent power. And he just, you know, he's like 40% or so better than the league average hitter both of the past two years. 
defensively, he didn't rate all that well, at least according to DRS this year. I guess UZR did like him, so there's some disagreement there, but he has been generally a a good defensive player, and that's kind of it. So he's just not particularly flashy. Like he's good defensively, but not necessarily in the way that like Matt Chapman and Nolan Arenado have been good, where they're routinely making these amazing plays that get shared everywhere. I don't know when the last time I saw an Anthony Rendon gif was <laughs> like ever. <laughs> I don't, has he ever? I don't know, but he just keeps racking up that value. And maybe if the Nationals had made the playoffs, maybe that would have helped and he did miss 25 games or so this year and was still really valuable and he's probably just been overshadowed somewhat by Harper and by Scherzer and by Strasburg you know it's kind of a a star-laden roster there so all these things conspiring against him according to the Fangraphs player tags there was not a single post written this season that focused (laughs) on Anthony Rendon now he was included in the honorable mentions for the uh, 2018 trade value post by Kylie McDaniel his contract situation is is coming to a close he'll be a free agent shortly what is it one more I think one more season so he's coming up in his Mm -hmm. contract year but Rendon for his career I like to look at uh, war per 600 plate appearances Rendon Mm -hmm. for his career 4.7 war per 600 plate appearances. Bryce Harper, 4.7 war per 600 plate appearances. And based on the steamer projections, Anthony Rendon is projected for 5.3 war. Bryce Harper is projected for 4.9. So even though Anthony Rendon is indeed three years, three and a half years almost older than Bryce Harper, that, or I should say two and a half, actually, two and a half years older than Bryce Harper, Harper will get the big deal because teams love young players and Rendon is has less of his peak ahead of him, but holy cow, what a peak it has been for Anthony Rendon. And you just wonder how maybe how much more highly he'd be regarded if not for his his down 2015 where he was hurt and he just wasn't himself. He was kind of an average player. He missed half the season. But other than that, his worst season other than that since 2014 was worth 4.3 wins. He was just really, really good. So it looks like you have given me material for next week to just write the annual Anthony Rendon is incredibly underrated. Post. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Rendon is represented by Scott Boris, and he yeah. will be a free agent next offseason. So, okay. so we can Rendon look forward and... <laughs> to what the analogies and the metaphors will be. I wonder what Scott Boris will come up with because... I, I mean, what would it be? It's, you would think a submarine race would be Anthony Rendon because he's just so out of view, but he's already used that one, so he's going to have to come up with something new. We Enough people have tipped us off to the idea that submarine race was some sort of euphemism for when high schoolers were making out and having sex up on the bluff. I don't yeah, know what I, the I origin was of that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me like that's what Scott Boris was saying, though. That is apparently an an idiom, or was, but I don't know how it necessarily applies to this. I mean, maybe it does. I guess you could, like, the idea is that stuff is going on beneath the surface, I guess, that you you can't see from afar. I don't know. It's it's kind of a strange expression. Well, Bryce Harper's out there, and teams are engaged in some heavy petting. Yes, they are. One guy who is now off the market, we should talk briefly about Jeff Mathis, is uh, now a Texas Ranger for two years, two-year contract for 35-year-old Jeff Mathis, who remains a singular player in baseball, and I hope he plays forever because, of course, he is challenging for the distinction of, well, he's not going to get to worst hitter of all time because I think Bill Bergen has that just sewn up forever, but he really is ascending or descending that leaderboard depending on how you sort it. So, 
I just looked on the Fangraphs leaderboards, minimum 2,500 career plate appearances, which, to be clear, you've got to be doing something right to get to that many plate appearances. But he is now the sixth worst hitter of all time with that many plate appearances. And one of the ones ahead of him is a pitcher, Cy Young. <laughs> Cy Young had 3,100 plate appearances in his career, <laughs> which uh, I guess that's what happens when you have like 847 complete games or something like that. And when you pitch for 21 years and usually finish your starts, that, that'll do it. But there are only now four hitters who are actual hitters who have been worse than Jeff Mathis over the course of their career. And he does have a chance to catch a a couple of those guys. So he's at 50, WRC plus of 50 for his career. And he is now one point behind Tommy Tevino. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Tevino, Tevino, and Hal Lanier, we've talked about on the podcast before. They both have a 49 WRC plus. So he's probably going to get there, you would think. I don't know. He's not getting any better at hitting at this stage of his career. So, But he's not getting any worse, it seems like, that's which true. is what's <laughs> kind of interesting about a catcher who's 36 years old. His career WRC Plus, like you said, is 50. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, but it was just no, something go ahead. I noticed. Yeah. Last season, 47. The year before that, 51. The year before that, 63. That was a, one of his high years. But he's just kind of been Jeff Mathis since from, from the beginning. He mm-hmm. broke in at 22. Yeah, he just keeps going. I don't know. I guess if you're never good to begin with, maybe he just has a strange decline curve. By the way, it is uh, 749 complete games that Cy Young had. I, I overestimated <laughs> his his workhorseness. Well, yeah, so the thing about Mathis is that he keeps getting jobs, and we know why he keeps getting jobs. It's because pitchers love working with him, and everyone thinks he's just the best defensive catcher out there. And certain stats are not capturing that clearly. I would argue that no stats that we have currently are capturing that because according to Fangraphs, he is a career sub-replacement level player. And even Baseball Prospectus, which accounts for framing and, you know, maybe does a, a better job with blocking and things like that, they have the most sophisticated catcher defense model out there on the internet. And Jeff Mathis, according to Baseball Prospectus, is wins above replacement player 6.7 career, which is not great. I mean, it you wouldn't look at that and think, yeah, he should continue to get lots and lots of jobs. So Clearly, teams are valuing him higher than this, and the current catcher defense metrics make no attempt to account for game calling, for sequencing, for just working with pitchers, that nebulous quality. And R.J. Anderson wrote a feature about that and about Mathis's game calling and working with pitchers' ability for CBS Sports this year. And Mathis really wouldn't disclose much because he said, you know, he needs that information and can't give it away. But I look forward to one day Jeff Mathis perhaps opening up post-retirement about what it was exactly that he does so spectacularly because many teams have come to the conclusion that Jeff Mathis is worth employing it's the mathis is going to be one of those those test cases of also did you know jeff mathis played second base last year 
He played yeah, three yeah, innings no, I remember second that. base yeah. last season. Yeah. I don't remember that. Anyway, this it's an is an interesting test case because when we see something like this now, by the way, the, the Jeff Mathis Mike Napoli wars are over. Mike Napoli is <laughs> yeah. out of baseball. He hasn't played in the majors since twenty seventeen. Mathis still going, signing new multi year contracts. It's the second consecutive multi year contract anyway. You see a team like the Rangers in dire need of pitching help and they decided, well, let's help our pitchers indirectly. Let's sign Jeff Mathis and this is a this is an era where it's increasingly difficult not to just defer to authority and baseball teams then and just assume that they're making the right decisions because we always say baseball teams are ahead of us and etc. And when you see a situation like this now, as opposed to if Jeff Mathis got a big contract 10 years ago, 11 years ago, now we say, oh, well, Jeff Mathis has all these other skills. Maybe they're hard to measure, but we just kind of assume that they're true even beyond what is being measured, which is the framing and the throwing, the blocking, all that stuff. You read features, you hear about how pitchers just love working with Jeff Mathis, and therefore you think, well, he's not being properly valued by the numbers, and, and so be it. And this is an interesting interesting test case, because we'll defer to the authority and say, well, they're they're signing Jeff Mathis, and we can't criticize the Rangers for signing Jeff Mathis, he's not that expensive, he's, it's just a two-year deal, they need to help anyway. But we still don't actually know if it's true. He mm-hmm. might not be that helpful of a catcher, it might all be in pitchers' heads, maybe they like throwing to him because he does frame well and he's a good defender and maybe he's just like fun to talk to and he's kind of on the same page but maybe maybe Jeff Mathis doesn't actually make pitchers extra better beyond what's being measured but we just don't know and so I think a while ago more closer to the dawn of the sabermetric era we would have been inclined to say Jeff Mathis isn't worth it and now Mm -hmm. we're inclined to say Jeff Mathis is worth it but the actual evidence that we have is very limited yeah well we know about his framing now and his framing is good but Not the best. It's curious. He's actually gotten better at that as time has gone on. I think his most recent few seasons are his best framing seasons, and that is a quality that tends to decline too, but he has warded off any decline there too. So we can capture that, whereas we couldn't in, say, 2006 when he made the majors. We or 2005, I guess he made the majors, but back then we could just see the bat and we could see Mike Napoli's bat and say, well, this is better than that, and we can't quantify the other stuff. Now we can quantify the other stuff, and yet Mathis still looks sort of underwhelming relative to his reputation, so I wonder, 10 years from now, will we have a war that takes something away from Mathis and says, no, you were right in the first place, he's actually not that great, Or maybe he will turn out to be really great. Someone like Brad Osmus, for instance, is someone who looks a lot better with the benefit of BP's new metrics. Like Brad Osmus was sort of like Mathis during his career in that he couldn't hit and was just sort of seen as, oh, it's just reputation and they're carrying this automatic out on the roster because pitchers like working with him or whatever. And now, according to Baseball Prospectus's framing stats, he was really exceptional, and he was something like a 35-war player or warp player, which is really valuable, even though he was a, a lousy hitter for most of that time. So we'll see. The next iteration of war will probably change our perception of Mathis in some way. Look, there's something at Fangraphs. I don't know what this is, but it's our... Lowercase r, capital C-E-R-A, which I have to assume is some sort of catcher E-R-A measure. So I will not swear by this. I don't know if it's worthwhile or not. It is a number that is present on the website where I work and where this 
podcast is posted. So there's a there's how much it's worth. And going back to however long we have this, they have this. This is Baseball Info Solutions. This is not a Fangrass metric. The top catcher in this statistic is Yadier Molina at plus 28 runs. I guess that makes some sense. Second place, mm-hmm. Caleb Joseph, which is interesting, plus 19 runs in a fifth of Molina's playing time. Jeff Mathis is fourth uh, in the recent era. One behind a Paul LaDuca. Whatever. So Jeff Mathis at plus 17 runs. And then, I don't know, do you have any guesses for who would be at the bottom of this? Hmm. Well, I don't know exactly what the stat does. but Great. Yes. <laughs> I'm guessing it's just uh, like, you know, overall your ERA working with this catcher as opposed to with other catchers for each pitcher, possibly like a, a more sophisticated kind of matched innings catcher ERA. I don't know. That's I guess, my guess. But, but is it... Well, this goes back a bit. Is it Ryan Domit? It's not. And now, <laughs> thinking about this, I don't know how you get catcher ERA run credit and you separate that from defense and framing. I don't know how that mm-hmm. works. I <laughs> I have asked nobody about this metric I just today, during this segment, learned that it exists <laughs> on our website. But it's Victor Martinez. He's at negative 32 runs. Uh, and interestingly, Jonathan Lucroy at negative 28. Now I say interestingly, is it interesting? I don't know because I know nothing about the statistic. I don't know if it's worth anything at all, but it's out there. It's in the public sphere and <laughs> Jeff Mathis is good at it and catchers with worse reputations are not. All right. Anything else? I guess there's a, a comment that stands out in this landscape by Philly's owner, John Middleton. He said in an interview with Bob Nightingale, we're going into this expecting to spend money and maybe even be a little bit stupid about it. He then added, we just prefer not to be completely stupid. (laughs) So uh, I guess you could say that this is how ownership always approached free agency until very recently. They often handed out contracts that in retrospect seem sort of stupid and now they don't do that anymore and Middleton is saying that, I don't know if this was tongue in cheek or what, but he's saying that uh, they're just going to spend and be profligate and maybe give players more than they deserve based on war or whatever, which I don't know whether they actually will, but it's kind of a change of pace to hear that we're going to spend money and we're not trying to be the most efficient possible. But I don't know if he actually means it or whether in a way like this is good PR. It's a a strange thing like in this environment where no one is spending and everyone's talking about luxury tax thresholds and dollars per war and all that for someone to just come out and say, no, we're going to spend and I don't know if it'll make sense, but it kind of is a positive thing, right? I guess. (laughs) And as as a fan, you hear what that really says is we're going to spend and we're not going to like freak out about every single last dollar. Yeah. Which I think we sort of already knew was true. You look at they signed some members of their bullpen. They signed Color Santana. They signed Jake Arrieta last year already. They were not concerned about being maximally efficient and, and mm-hmm. trying to get everything down to the last dollar. But it, <laughs> you wonder why big time agents like to go to the owners <laughs> instead of the front offices. And yeah. it's interesting. You get the you get a statement from someone that isn't just kind of beating around the bush and and saying, oh yeah, we're gonna tr- we're we listen on everyone and we're gonna try to do anything that makes the team better. You know, those empty quotes that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to get a quote that isn't one of those, but I I also do wonder what it means because again the message of the quote is the same as you would expect from everybody. Yeah. All right. So anything else that we should talk about? Should we talk about Orioles hirings? I mean, 
we don't have much new to say about this every time someone gets hired. So the Orioles hired Michael Elias, the Astros assistant GM, as their GM. And pretty much what we would say about this is the same as we would say about the Giants hiring Farhan Zaidi, right? It's it's a smart person from a smart team goes to a team that has not operated in that way. And now there's a bit more homogeneity in Major League front offices. It just every move just kind of levels the playing field in a way. Yep. That's uh, that's pretty much exactly what I expect, and the big question will then be the uh, the buy-in from ownership and how much power someone like Elias has or someone like Zaidi has. I would assume at least with with Zaidi, he's going to have a great deal of autonomy to build out the department and the front office that he wants in in San Francisco. You never really know what's going to happen in in Baltimore, but it does seem inevitable that before too long, all of the teams will have executives that we would recognize as being your standard progressive general manager, Mm -hmm. standard analytical general manager, whatever that looks like, everyone's going to have one. And then once we get there, there's always going to be some standout, maybe some overly meddlesome owner, someone who doesn't have the autonomy that they thought, because ultimately the team's direction will be driven by ownership and owners will determine how much leeway the front office has. But I don't know, I guess where I'm getting it is Mets. The Mets are going to be the last one standing. (laughs) Well, it will take a while for Elias to rebuild the Orioles. He's obviously going to hire people, some Astros people, but it's going to take some time because as we talked about on the most recent episode, they do not have much of a farm system, clearly do not have much of a major league roster right now. So it's going to be the long haul, but at least that process has begun. I had wondered when when the Giants had an opening, I thought, well, is this a, a good opportunity or not for, for an executive who wants to be in charge to take over a team that is clearly uh, just careening toward a cliff if it hasn't gone over it already? The Giants have a, a pretty bad major league roster, a bad farm system, and, uh, and there's a lot of money tied up in the future. But the Giants, compared to the Orioles, uh, the Orioles are similar. They have a bad major league roster and a bad farm system, and uh, and they have a little too much money, I guess, tied up long term, most of that being labeled with Chris Davis's face. But if you compare the Giants to the Orioles, the Giants have the better major league roster, maybe the better farm. Certainly, they have more financial flexibility and a greater number of resources they have. Even though Camden Camden Yards is, is good, I think AT&T is considered the, uh, the better, certainly newer stadium. You have a better, more supportive ownership group. You have a more supportive fan base for a variety of reasons. You have what I think for most people would be considered, uh, as long as you make enough money, a, a better living situation in San Francisco than you have in Baltimore. So really, it turns out San Francisco is still a pretty good spot, regardless of the team's circumstances in the present moment. But Baltimore, whew, uh, Michael Elias is a lot of work cut out for him in uh, in a lot of different ways. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I I hope, I always hope for for quick turnarounds, miracle turnarounds. I love that the, the Brewers never bottomed out for the reasons that you've explored before, but I do not envy the workload that Mike Goliath has in front of him. Yeah, and not only that, but he has to contend with Carson Sestouli in the same division, which is uh, (laughs) a tall order to have to take on Carson. So we will take on Carson too. In just a moment, we will be back with Carson Sestouli. I'm going away smiling Thinking about a life How we were good for each other And how we knew When I came to you I was all black and blue 
Have you had a dream where uh, where you were like the focal point of a press conference? Has that happened to you? No, but actually on the topic of dreams and uh, my new position, Meg Rally relayed to me, me the Meg Rally, she and the Ohio State University, are, they both received the definite article. Uh, she <clears throat> she relayed to me that she had a, an anxiety dream in which I, I uh, transmogrified, is that what I mean? Uh-huh. Into a blue jay and flew away. <laughs> but I like I had not I had not fully like you know um, we had not done all of the what we needed to do to work on like the exchange. Yeah, and so she was like, "Well, well wait, wait, bird, too late." So Have I'm you? Like, really yeah, at the website. <laughs> so you've met the other employees of the. Are we? Are we recording? Have we started? We are recording. Oh, this I, is. I know this is party rolls. Is, oh, oh, we recording. Oh, we're just cool guys chatting. <laughs> that's totally. That's, that's part of the aesthetic. I understand. Yeah, we, we, we were cool guys, but then we invited a guest. So you've met ah. the other. You've met the other Blue Jays employees. Are they also birds? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're only it's like a um, a werewolf type thing. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, well, they turn into. They turn back into humans when they go into the states. Oh, that's how it was. <laughs> Visa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I guess we might as well introduce this segment that's already two minutes underway. This is Carson Sistuli. <laughs> as we are recording, still an employee of Fangraphs Incorporated. But by the time this is published, perhaps no longer an employee of Fangraphs. I don't know if the employment lasts until like midnight of the day of. But Carson is, uh, is joining the Toronto Blue Jays in uh, a role which he will explain right now. Can I do well? Can I de- derail this momentarily? I would like to discuss pod mechanics. You, yeah. Jeff, appeared to take the introduction to this segment, but I believe that Ben, you are frequently responsible for a lot of the introductory matter. Otherwise, that's true. Is that right? Yeah, it has been a while since Jeff started off a segment. It's in your honor, I guess, since you two are officially colleagues, and I'm just kind of an interloper at Fangrass. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's well, I know it. It 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 was hard to get all of that title onto your business card, but we managed. <laughs> yeah. You're only planning to derail this podcast momentarily. You don't want to keep going. Yeah. The role. The role is basically one intended, I think, to, um, let's see. Okay, as I said in the post uh, that I published for saying goodbye, uh, teary farewell to all my colleagues, etc. cetera, uh, the idea is that um, there's a lot of information. And uh, I will probably, in this case, be u- uh, using some of the same skills that I uh, employed while writing a weekly post at the site called French Drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the idea was to, you know, gather as much information as one can on the public side of things and then to, you know, say this player might have a, a better chance of succeeding than one might otherwise expect. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's the idea, you know, is to is uh, to be able to weigh, to be able to, to sort of hold in one's mind um, how much weight a particular data point or report or projection or whatever like how much weight it ought to exert over the overall evaluation of a player mm-hmm. yeah so i think it's like i think it requires some comfort some ease with feeling uncomfortable and that is my bailiwick gents <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I, I walked right into that front office yeah I said, let, let me tell you my bailiwick well it sounds like this happened fairly suddenly judging by your post that the Blue Jays just said, hey, you want to be a Blue Jay? And you said, yeah, I could do that. And, and here you are. Well, yeah, it was it was a little bit more discussion than that. <laughs> First of all, I demanded to meet uh, Justin Trudeau. 
<laughs> that's that's part of it. Um, uh-huh. I said, if that doesn't happen, no, it was uh, no, it was you know, it started off as a conversation and one about which I was excited, but uh, you know, it was like uh, at the same time, I already possessed a a job that was very gratifying and allowed me to work with excellent people like Ben Lindbergh and uh, Ben Lindbergh occasionally, Jeff Sullivan more often. And uh, so, you know, I, there was no, there was no sense of urgency, but you know, it's uh, it, uh, in the end, it seemed like um, something that um, would be an, an interesting challenge. And, you know, I'm going to die someday. And that, that day is getting closer all the time. So uh, I think like if an interesting challenge uh, is, uh, you know, looking you in the face, it's probably makes sense to, to accept it. To my knowledge, you, ha- you had been approached <laughs> by a team in the past. That team was Team Israel. If I am uh, not yeah, mistaken, okay, for... yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if we're naming names, sure. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, uh, for the World Baseball Classic, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but uh, and I, I don't recall if anything there materialized. But what amount of time, I guess, elapsed between when the Blue Jays reached out to you and maybe when you began to consider this as a as a realistic change to make? Because as as you've said earlier, you were quite happy at Fangraphs. There was no real reason no compelling reason to leave fangraphs and then something sort of effectively fell into your lap. Yeah, well I can't I can't obviously speak to to their side of things. I thought it was a, a prank for a long time. <laughs> I was going to um, ask you how you established <laughs> that it was not a prank. It took <laughs> I, it took a lot of yeah, ver- verification. <laughs> I had to I had to collect some some personal data <laughs> because I actually did have a friend in grad school who would who would pull elaborate pranks. I, can I tell you? I'll, t- I'll say his name because it, he deserves to be honored for this. His name is Brad Fliss, and he went to the UMass Creative Writing Program. And he would, there was another guy, he was taking a class, and there was a, he, one of his friends was in the class named Aaron. And he made sure, so every, every uh, day when the class met, the teacher would just hand around like a sheet. It was, you know, to, to take role. I mean, this is like a graduate level class, so it, you know, if you weren't there or whatever, but just to have some sort of record. But he ensured that he only ever got the roll sheet after Aaron had written it, after Aaron had written down his name. And so he would, every time he would modify Aaron's name to say something, it was something absurd. It was like Big Daddy or the Big Cheese. And so on the last day of class, the teacher was like, hey, it's the Big Cheese. And he had no idea uh, what the teacher was talking about because Brad had modified his name (laughs) every time. And it was like, he would do these long cons. Like this is a um, slightly more... <laughs> this is slightly more. This is more. This is, well, this is sensitive use of information, but uh, this is in the earliest days of Facebook, and um, he came up to a public terminal at UMass, and a young student at UMass, uh, she had left her Facebook account open, and uh, um, he made a. He made. He determined that this uh, young woman did not have uh, sufficiently. A uh, diverse array of friends on Facebook, <laughs> so he reached out to just like hundreds of people of color to, to be friends to be friends with her on her Facebook. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know that might be illegal, but I'm sure the statute of limitations is uh, long gone. Wait, what were we talking so about? In, in conclusion, so in conclusion, I will be joining people for Ross Atkins. Is, is what you're saying? No, no. <laughs> No, no, shh, shut up, <laughs> shut up, and excised from this conversation. No, no, it, no, so my, my, the, I live in mortal fear of pranks, is my point. I see. Um, and that was because I have, uh, because I have no um, self-esteem as well, and that's the other part of it, which I think is like mostly a, like a decent quality. Yeah. Has this raised your self-esteem? Have you considered no. that you might be of some worth to an organization? No. 
No, I think, again, like, I really feel like, uh, so, like, maybe objectively I feel that way, but, like, like, if I were to sit back, but, uh, no, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any value to feeling like you have worth. <laughs> I just don't, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. It's like you just constantly do, do good work, like, do good work. Constantly, you know, do as much good work as you can. Now, I'm not saying that my, um, I'm not saying that my oof that I've left behind fan graphs is necessarily a testament to doing good work, but I, you know, I was uh, operating with what I had, with the resources, uh, the resources that I that I possessed inside of me. So I wanted to ask, okay, this is sort of a two part question, but mm-hmm. you've you've been with fan graphs for the better part of a decade, if not almost exactly a decade since. Uh, yeah, get, yeah, it's close. It's I think it's nine plus years. Yeah, right. So. Over that span of time, did you ever feel capable? Did you ever personally, <laughs> internally feel capable of, of what your responsibilities were? I've probably felt more... So the, I think that in, um, I've only sort of learned this in the last couple of years, but there is a kind of utility that one that one cultivates simply have, by having been around. <laughs> like I... There's nothing at Fangraphs that um, like objectively I ought to be better at than anyone, but simply because it's like, I just like know where all, like I know where all the, you know, I know where all the light plugs are, you know, like mm-hmm. where the electric plugs and like I know where, I just know where things are because I've been around. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think that has made me useful. I recognize that it has made me useful. Mm-hmm. And also like I feel pretty comfortable, uh, I feel pretty comfortable editing English, I think. Okay. So yeah. are you, you are, you are transitioning into a job that has mm-hmm. stakes. Fangraphs mm-hmm. is a business, but you know the the stakes are, are quite a bit lower. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag six org, if you will. But <laughs> yeah, you are you are going into what is clearly more of a a cutthroat business. Now you are not going to be the general manager or a vice president of baseball operations or anything like that. Yeah. Or what to whatever extent your department fails, you can at least spread the failure around, and no one can know who was most culpable for said failure. But how do you expect your own psychology? to adapt to a job where the environment is presumably going to be quite a bit more stressed or strained than what you were leaving behind. I mean, I see I see your point. I think that it's I, ha- I have to imagine it's a case by case basis. My experience thus far has been like that the the Blue Jays in particular are really trying to cultivate a spirit of collaboration with the idea that that's probably likely to produce the best results and I think that they've probably you know identified people who feel comfortable in that sort of environment and also um, have you know maybe maybe stress that as a sort of uh, focus of the organization but yeah I think that that collaborative spirit like I mean that's uh, that's how I feel uh, because I, I know that I'm that you know that I'm not I could not like single-handedly um, I would not I could not be responsible in any sort of um, overarching way for for the sort of decisions that have been made like i uh i feel like i like in, in a certain case i would like to be a like just a person on the team who's playing within his role and you know playing to his strengths and then uh when you know weaknesses emerge as they as for me is afflicted by them uh to turn to people who are you know more well equipped i guess to deal with those things mm-hmm. so like in terms of the stakes like you know i don't know if there's like a realistic situation where you know, if the club is a losing season and everyone is dismissed, you know, through, from the top to the bottom, like, I don't know, you know, that's fine. You know, there, uh, it's, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm sure other people would not be unhappy, but like, and uh, I certainly wouldn't be like uh, pleased in the moment, but um, 
I'm also not, you know, I get, I'll find something else to do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I prefer that didn't happen because the work, you know, to the extent that I've begun it, um, which is not a huge extent, but to, to the extent that I'm sort of familiar with what will be happening is like very, um, very appealing to me. So I think um, it's kind of being engaged with the work itself, I think is probably a good way to handle that. Would it be accurate to say that your life has taken unanticipated turns? Because <laughs> it seems that way. I, a lot of people get into this industry specifically at a site like Fangrass because they are hoping to get that email one day from someone who says, come work for my baseball team. But was that something that was ever an aspiration or did this come completely out of left field or did you start to think at some point I could do this or would want to do this? I think that, I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, if you've grown up and you've liked the game quite a bit, there is something that's like kind of irretrievably romantic about it right like Mm -hmm. that you would have um, you'd be able to play some kind of role but at the same time like I never anticipated uh, and I think like Dave Cameron when when he was leaving the site like you know he said something to the effect of like this was not my dream job because when I was younger this job did not exist yeah Um, and that's you know precisely how I felt as well I mean even when I first started reading Fangraphs I was like I would have no I would have no business writing for this website until I until I made it my business I guess uh, yeah I don't and if the readers it, agreed initially yeah I get yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, <laughs> yeah so uh right I guess just it's like uh asking you know asking questions of, of people and attempting to learn more and uh stay at like the most in, you know the most intelligent version of yourself and i don't know be patient and kind and i don't know what i, I think that these are like largely the vows for most american weddings <laughs> but uh i think that they're you know they're like important qualities and i certainly do not uh, film a picture of all of them at this you know simultaneously at any point you know but i think that that uh yeah the, the certainly the idea possessed some romance but i would never say that i had it as I regarded it as the only outcome that would make me happy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because I think, for, you know, at least the way I navigate the world, like that would not only be like a like a cocktail for disappointment, you know, if you just have one goal and then, you know, there are a lot of influences which will, you know, could contribute to you not reaching it. But at the same time, you, you maybe, it would maybe force you to not to notice other opportunities that would emerge that might be, you know, very compelling, but which you didn't know exists. Like there's so many jobs. If you just walk through your life, uh, there are so many jobs where you don't imagine how that that job ever existed. And yet there's someone doing it right there in front of you. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, I think one generally needs to work. I would love to be uh, fabulously wealthy or better yet to have married rich. That would have been much better. So unforced error on my part. But in lieu of that, I think there's probably also like advantages to working. And so having some, uh, you know, having a, a profession, a vocation that uh, brings some satisfaction and allows you to ask questions is pretty, uh, that's the best case scenario, I think. Again, except for the, the marrying rich part. With uh, With what urgency... Would you say that you you were hired? This is your last day at Fangraphs. I don't know when your first official day is with the Blue Jays, but of course you've got, I guess they wouldn't celebrate American Thanksgiving, but you've got a Thanksgiving break coming up for some of their American employees. And, and shortly after that, you have the, the winter meetings beginning. So I don't know how many details you're allowed to say, but will you be in place in, uh, in time for the, the off season to be heating up and be a part of the organization? You mean the uh, the metaphorical hot stove, Jeff Sullivan? It's, it's heating up right now. The embers are the embers are sparking. 
Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I'll I'll be able to uh, to participate a little bit. I mean, I'll, you know, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a learning curve in terms of uh, it's a it's a new position. Um, and I I don't know if I'm at liberty to say, but a couple of other people um, are, have a similar role. Um, in this kind of um, role of uh, sort of acting, as, it's not necessarily a liaison between scouts and the front office or whatever. It's more of like um, it's essentially it's just attempting to make the best evaluation to evaluations possible for for players and using all the information available. Uh, yeah, there's going to be some learning curve, and then um, but I think like you know I could participate in ways like I might uh, like whatever I'm I don't know if I would be invited to but something like the rule five draft is very appealing to me mm-hmm. because you know you're given just like here's a list of names and you know history dictates that almost none of them will be average players ever but some of you know a couple of them might be and so try and find the one who will be and that's that's to me is very exciting because uh, now in uh, Jeff I posted you wrote that I have cited frequently that I and about which I think was some frequency it was uh, maybe you were writing about the Dodgers originally but it was uh, avoiding the awful do you remember that mm-hmm. yeah uh, you and uh, that's something that uh, to which I turn a lot and I think that you basically you documented that um, while obviously having um, high-end talent is important that there's also a lot to be said for ensuring that you don't have uh, black holes at certain positions and finding ways to avoid the awful um, it's good. And, and, you know, something like the Rule 5 draft can allow you to do that. The great yeah. coincidence of that is that I was, I was writing about the Baltimore Orioles, who in 2018 assembled only the awful. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, yeah, they had, uh, well, it didn't go well to, I mean, they, they obviously have some, they had, I mean, they do have some interesting players. I, I think I wrote about Cedric Mullins a couple of times mm-hmm. this year, but um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, spectacularly awful, right? Like Chris, Chris Davis, of course. Yeah. Whom I don't think that even if you expected that there was going to be, some decay in the skills. I don't think you would have thought that would happen, right? This is the yeah. last day you could probably publicly editorialize about how bad the Orioles were. <laughs> well, no. Well, <laughs> I guess there's like how bad... I'm not making any claims to necessarily <laughs> the true talent of the roster, but I don't. I think that it's an objective fact that the record wasn't great. <laughs> I, don't, is, I don't think that's editorializing. <laughs> it's is inarguable, it? yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a fact. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I I'm not sure. I mean, you know, from having observed the Orioles over the year, like it didn't necessarily seem as though they entered the season under the impression that that, that was going to be the case, right? Oh, correct. No. Yeah. Yeah. We've discussed so, that. Yeah. So, what do you attribute your success to, given that you have? <laughs> 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 you have had some success. We can't deny it. I know. It may not feel that way. But That's less objective yeah, than the Orioles record. Maybe so. But yeah. your track record with Fringe 5 is very impressive. And you went over it. You reviewed it for, I believe, what, last year's Hardball Times Annual? And yeah. you looked at the outcomes of guys who have been your top Fringe 5 picks each year. And they've been the equivalent of a 20th ranked prospect, which is pretty impressive given that you are combing the non-prospect ranks for these French Five guys. So you have essentially just started with a pool of players who were deemed not to be top prospects, and you have consistently found top prospects. So how'd you do that? Well, hmm, how did I do it? It's a good question. Uh, there is some method. You know, I think it's frequently, it's finding value that might not, uh, I mean, I, I think of a player like Brett Gardner, for example, right? Like Brett Gardner, I think should have should have been a center fielder for his whole career, 
right? If in a different world, right? Mm -hmm. If you saw that talent, you'd say that's a center fielder, but he plays corner outfield. And that's a weird, that's a weird thing. And he's obviously produced a lot of value defensively. Sorry, guys. Um, That's going to, that's, that's just, that it just exists. (laughs) Um, But so, so those sort of moments where a player is maybe not, is not necessarily a a great fit. And I think that those like heuristics that um, evaluators employ are useful, especially when you're tasked with, you know, making assessments of like thousands of players, for example, you know, but then, you know, as, as players creep up the minor league ladder, like you have, you know, you, you have more of a track record, et cetera. So yeah, I think finding players who were kind of like awkward fits, like players who weren't necessarily shortstops, but who would still provide defensive value other places, or players who on the offensive side, like didn't possess a lot in the way of tools, but made a lot of contact. Uh, I was just thinking today about like, I mean, like even if now, like if you went to see Matt Carpenter, like you didn't know anything about him, right? You know, what, what he'd done in terms of numbers. Like, would you be like, oh, Matt Carpenter's definitely like a perennial all-star? Would that have been, would that be your assessment of him? <laughs> Probably not. Probably, yeah. I mean, he just, he doesn't really have a position, right? I mean, has he played like the same position for two or three years consecutively? You know, he's he's like a veteran who moves around, and I don't think it's necessarily obvious that I don't think he's got like big raw power or has ever had raw power. But he's really good. So you know, I mean, like using you know, those players who've come through again to cite some work that Jeff has done. Jeff did um, really cool look at the percentage of prospects and non-prospects who, you know, or, or essentially what it was the good player, right? You looked at who like who are the good players, mm-hmm. Jeff. And I think what I think maybe like two thirds of them had been on a prospect list at some point, and maybe one third hadn't. Yeah, yeah, it kind of depends whether you're looking at the top 100 list or or top 10 for each team. But yeah, you uh, you were correct. Yeah, and then Craig Edwards actually just did a cool piece on positional bias, like in in um, rankings, you know. And like if you look at you know maybe there's a position that's not as um, highly represented in the rankings, but then like if you look at the actual major league game, you say, well, no, they're a little bit um, there's a little bit more representation here. So I think that, you know, this, you know, I think that there's some, there are some constraints that people who are composing those lists are f- forced to contend with. And I think that um, if you want to talk about interlopers, you know, I, I have sort of served, not a parasite necessarily, <laughs> but not, not a parasite. Because um, it's like, you know, I mean, the people who put these lists together, and certainly Kylie McDaniel and Eric Longening and do a great job, like they are, like, that's a lot of work. You know, they're synthesizing so much information. And I come through and I'm like, here's my favorite. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's my favorite and you didn't even include him. So, um, I mean, that's probably the dimmest possible view of uh, what I've done. But that doesn't mean it's inaccurate. (laughs) We spend so much time on on the outside talking about how far ahead teams must be and and just how smart many of them must be. Even like the Giants now are going to move forward under far anxiety, and then the Orioles have hired Michael Elias. So, you know, the progressivism spreads around baseball. And we always talk about that gap in information between the industry and, and the public. And so were you... Yeah, I mean Do you want me to send you a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet of all the, the minor league trackman data? Is that what you're asking for, Jeff? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> I think that's, that's... Yeah, I'm touching well, my nose. Me... I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> you... Well, you sent me a message here in this app 
location. It's uh, yeah, dem- I demand spin rate for all these players. No, can you I, clean I can't it up? That for can you, you throw out the bugs? I know that there's bugs. Are you were in the? I mean this in the least de- demeaning way possible. But were you, no, you when it. you were contacted and when you were brought in for an interview? Were you surprised that I would say? And I think you would agree that people such as yourself, myself, we're not coders. We're in, we're not rigorous analytical mm-hmm. types in the mold that you might think of. Even someone like, I don't know, a Russell Carlton or a Jonathan Judge, like people who are doing things that are so far beyond our own capability. So when you were approached and brought in for an interview, were you surprised that a major league team <laughs> felt like it had a necessity for what you do? I, I, I appreciate what you're saying right yeah, now. Yeah. It's actually been a, a trend toward teams hiring people like us, if I can group us all together, by yeah. which I mean people with no discernible skills. Just to, I mean, for the, for, the, for the first, I don't know, decade or so of the sabermetric internet, no one was getting hired. And then for maybe the next decade, just the elite people with actual technical training and advanced degrees would get hired. So it would be the Dan Foxes and the Keith Wilners and the Max Markies and Mike Fasts and those sorts of people. And now suddenly it is people like us. It's like you and it's August Fagerstrom and it's Ben Harris from The Athletic or Corinne Landry also from Fangraphs. And, and I'll oh, yeah. say it. I'll say it. Dave doesn't know how to write Yeah, code. Dave Cameron. Dave is not a researcher. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do they want with us? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I think like there's probably some value, right, in being able to, yeah, like again, like being able to see a, a bunch of information and, and make some sense of it and maybe to just uh process it digest it in a way that you know because you you're you're not just communicating with analysts at that point right like you have to like there are a lot of different types of people with different strengths who are part of i mean any any organization and uh, you know beyond baseball but certainly you know within baseball organizations too so like having a, having an ability to i think to you know to make those ideas accessible and to feel like they're not like they're not threatening for some people, you know, which I think can can happen easily. I mean, like I know, I mean, this is not even a part from baseball, but like I taught uh, college writing for some time, and I would have people in my class who were like fifty, sixty years old, and they would be like, they would be like, not trembling, right? But they would be like, oh, like you know, don't be too harsh on this paper that I've given you, or you know, and I'd be like, you have so. You have you are better than me. That's what I, you know what I mean. Like, like it's very possible. Like you know, because I was like twenty eight or whatever, and like I had some you know I had d- done a lot of work thinking about English usage, right? But like it was such a narrow slice, and I I mean like in terms of value to society, I I ranked beneath these people, you know. But but my my point was with them is like yeah like maybe like this is not your strength, but at the same time like you have like. You know, like you offer considerable value, and so if you you know if you can get together complementary pieces, then I think it makes sense um, to do that. And like I think it, if you have people who are whose sort of main I don't know one of their main skills I guess is asking questions, then that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't you know maybe it won't work out, guys. <laughs> it, it may not be a great idea, but I uh, I you I don't know. I've, I mean, I know it. I've I, I've had some uh, you know I've been able to to meet with the folks there and like. It's been it's been really nice to be honest. So, I'm I guess I'm yeah I'm not I'm not too concerned about. You're right. I was suspicious <laughs> about uh, 
<laughs> again, I mean, it's you know, seeming like a prank, but there seems to be uh, I uh, there seems to be a role. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess is my point. Yeah, and I guess yeah. what you could you you could call what you've done with the Fringe Five scouting the stat line. That's something that people will say, and often in a, a demeaning tone in the past mm -hmm. that you're just looking at the stats, so therefore you're missing some important information that you would get just via expertise, via being there in the ballpark. And now you are doing a job, and many other people, more and more people around baseball are doing a job that essentially is scouting the stat line, but the stat line is much more informative than it used to be because the stat line is now almost indistinguishable from the scouting information because we have all this tracking information, there's wearable technology, there's video, you know, high speed, slow motion. You kind of have everything without leaving your house, without having to make that trek, which is not the greatest news for traditional scouts who in some cases are losing their jobs. But you're about to have a, a wealth of information that you have not had. You're about to have TrackMan, and you're about to have probably video on demand from every angle whenever you want it. So are you looking forward to that? And do you anticipate that improving your process or in some way disrupting its purity of not being able to see things and just having to go based on the results, which has worked pretty well for you? Yeah, well, it's certainly exciting. I mean, to have, you know, access, I mean, both to like some of the numbers that you're suggesting, and then also to be perfectly frank, like the reports that yeah. that people have been have um, submitted, you know, obviously submitted for the Toronto Blue Jays, their scouts, uh, to have access to that. And then also, you know, be able to reach out to those same scouts and, uh, <laughs> you know, and have them take my call, which is, I mean, I can't usually do that for most of my family members. <laughs> it's straight to voicemail. So this is, um, yeah, it's a unique opportunity to be able to just to have access, yeah, to like a, a bunch of different types of information. And I suppose like the concern always is, right? Like is, you know, are you weighting it correctly, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's one of the challenges, when, you, especially when you're introduced to um, a lot of new streams uh, of, of data, of, you know, of information to be able to, it's good, you know. I think there's probably a period of adjustment where you begin to understand, like, precisely how much weight um, a, a particular number or a particular report ought to carry. Mm -hmm. So I think that that'll, yeah, I think that'll probably be one of the uh, challenges with which I'm contending, as I, you know, kind of um, become more acquainted with my job. Are you going to miss podcasting? I know that Ben, Ben, and I do this several times a week. It feels like about twelve times a week we do a podcast, and I still don't really think of the podcast as part of the job, even though it is. It is work. This is work. <laughs> I don't know how much preparation you put into your podcast. I don't know how much editing it required. I understand well, that when you would try to get Dane Perry, sometimes it would take weeks or months in advance to get him locked down for whatever it is that the two of you would do. But how, uh, you know, the giving up the editorial side is, is one thing, but you've written less and less lately because of your editorial work. But the, the podcast, of course, is always front and center. So if anything, that will be your most glaring absence on the public side. Yeah. You've been doing your podcast for more years than we've been doing this podcast, although yeah. you've produced fewer episodes due to indolence, most likely. But, <laughs> but, but it has been a, a constant for uh, yeah. quite some time. Podcasts come and go, and Fangraphs Audio has not and will not, we should mention, because the estimable Meg Rally is taking over and 
let's face it, will probably do a superior job. But yeah, I think that is exactly <laughs> it will right. be yeah. Yeah. different than it was. Yeah, you know, you, you're saying it with so much enthusiasm, Ben. It's, uh, it's, it hurts a little bit, but. Um, in fact, just literally one minute ago, uh, Meg Rally has informed me that her first volley as uh, host of Fangraphs Audio is uh, is ready in the queue. Wow. And I should mention that it's it's been more work than just that for Meg because uh, she has not really previously had any cause to be involved in the editing of of the podcast, and that's something that she's had to to figure out in somewhat short order. So, a credit to her on that account as well. Yeah, will I miss it? Mm, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I miss talking to my colleagues. Yeah, I miss that. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, You're probably going to have a number of staff meetings in, uh, in your new organization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I miss talking to the specific people. <laughs> um, they're, not, they're not just all interchangeable in my head. Now. Even Dane Perry. <laughs> Hmm, you're human. Uh, yeah, Dane Perry is uh, very interesting. I, I don't necessarily enjoy... Dane Perry is kind of like... like I feel like talking with him is a little bit like community service. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So that I can... Um, you know, he can abuse me, but um, it amuses <laughs> dozens. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I will miss that. Um, and I think people have, I, I do honestly think that the Dane episodes are funny because he is a truly strange person. <laughs> and uh, I think that the, that needs to be, we need to be constantly reminded of that. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. Well, will you miss the writing outlet because you are someone who has always been a writer and clearly likes language and yeah language is okay <laughs> many of your posts would be of no analytical value to the toronto blue jays or any other team such as your recent dispatches about managers who could probably still play baseball or uh, who would win, win a literal heart hustle award you could probably just keep producing that type of post without getting any uh, competitive <laughs> advantage taken away from yeah. your employer but uh, presumably you will miss that I mean you can continue to write for yourself but not for this audience yeah I mean I'm I'm not going to continue to write for the audience and uh, yeah I suppose let's see how do I feel about it I'm not really a good person to ask. <laughs> I mean, I understand I am the person to ask yeah. um, because of the question of lies to my life. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm not really good at projecting my emotions into the future. Mm. He said, adjusting his his gears and pulleys and levers. <laughs> hey, uh, are we? Would you would you say that we're close? I'm not. I'm not trying to cut this short at all. But there is a there is a small child in the room. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 another that's another human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about how this affects that human and other humans in your life. Is this going to be a difference in your routine? I mean, you're not relocating, right? But no, yeah, that's yeah, that was uh, something that made the entire thing more more appealing um, and easier. Yeah. But yeah, there'll be a little bit of travel, but um, I think that I'll be able to conduct a number of my oh, it's another. affairs. It's <laughs> another one. You've got a whole menagerie you understand here. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a thousand square feet, this house, and uh, and uh, winter has started, so the upstairs is too cold for humans to inhabit. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of congregating in this room. It's really like, um, like did you ever read Little Women? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's basically like that. Yeah. It's basically, I mean, there's some different. The characters are different. Yeah, they're not all women. Um, but we're all we're all we're all we're all darning. We're all we're all uh, we're all uh, knitting by the by the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be yeah, a little uh, pay a little visit to to the Sestouli household. But it won't be a big Sestouli. disruption to your regular routine. You'll still be 
staring at a computer for hours a day and roughly <laughs> roughly the same hours. I think, yeah, that'll be that'll be part of it. I think that um, uh, I think I will be allowed into the open air at certain points uh-huh. if I acquire the appropriate documentation. But yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it'll it'll um, it'll it'll be in some ways it, it will resemble I, I think the, the job I've had till now, um, except instead of um, inserting hyphens into everyone's uh, posts and predominantly, <laughs> yeah. I will, um, you know, it'll be a, it'll be more a question of, uh, see, I, you know, a, a variety of tasks, really. I mean, I'm, I think that uh, maybe sometimes, it's my impression, and it's not, we thought this before, this uh, position, but like everyone has a, a title, you know, everyone has, you know, their own title, but um I think that there's probably more fluidity in terms of, especially when you get to kind of crunch times, like, you know, like you'd imagine, like trade deadline or winter meetings or whatever. It's kind of all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. So I will uh, look to be a productive team member in whatever capacity. Yeah. Well, you've mastered that part. Uh, (laughs) I don't know know how many people who are listening to this podcast uh, have that desire in their heart to eventually work for a team. And I also, of course, understand you can't reveal that much information about the process that you went through. But I, I was curious as one of the last things, if not the last thing I, I wanted to ask you was if you could maybe at least speak generally about what the process was like to go, not just being reached out to, but to actually go in and interview for a baseball team. I don't know the last time you did a job interview. I didn't do one for Fangraphs. I met David Appleman drunk in a bar, but, and for you, you, you were recommended by, by Jonah Carey, but did it feel like just a a regular job interview? Yeah. Well, I have not had many real jobs either, uh, previous, um, or (laughs) including this one. I do know that I think it basically like the idea is to to meet as many people as you can when you're visiting, you know, so that you can just get a sense for how everyone gets along. I mean, at a certain point, I think, like, that's a big part of it, right? I mean, don't you want that to be part of a job? Is like, it's going to work in terms of the personalities or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, and, like, you know, I've, like, I had gone through job interviews uh, to be a teacher before, um, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, you meet with uh, the people in your department for an hour and then you teach a class for an hour and then you meet with head of school for an hour and then you have lunch for an hour and then, um, you know, you just you meet as many people as you can. Yeah, so it's it's mostly just talking to people. You just talk to people about the thing that you like. Yeah. You know, so if you think about baseball with some frequency and then you're talking to people, then you just, it's easier. I mean, it's, the biggest problem was like when I was in grad school, writing poetry and I tried to talk about baseball to everyone and they were like no <laughs> yeah <laughs> they reacted Jackie much man. much like your yeah. son is right now yeah yeah he's okay. well maybe my last question then you alluded to this in your farewell post but when you first started writing for Fangraphs you were not warmly received by all parties and all readers of the site but yeah you some of I've gone back and uh uh, some of the IP addresses match yours, Ben. <laughs> and the things you said yeah, about my aunt. Yeah, no, I regret that comment specifically. Yeah, yeah all right. well, as long as you regret <laughs> Well, but now that you are departing nine plus years later, you are being mourned. Your departure is being mourned by many people. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I wonder what you attribute that to. Did you change in some way to, to suit the Fangraphs aesthetic? You were sort of a shock to the system, I think, when when you showed up, but... This might be an example of the Overton window <laughs> yes, at work. right. Yeah, you have shifted the, the <laughs> perception of what's, what's acceptable for a Fangraphs writer, or is it yeah. just a testament to, well, you can get used to anything if it's around long yeah, enough? Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And, you know, like, um, 
Yeah, any injury, you know. <laughs> I mean, people people get through people get through a lot. People are uh, they're resilient, and uh, it wasn't like I was saying. Um, it was not casting aspersions, mm-hmm. you know. I was just attempting to have a good time, and I think that, um, you know, I mean, I'll, I don't think this is a, any uh, great mystery. Is that a lot of sometimes people on the internet they're a little bit like um, children who touch a hot stove, and then they they complain about it being hot without removing their hand. Mm-hmm. I think that there were people who eventually, you know, realized they should just take their hand off the stove and just not read the <laughs> posts and the page views support. Uh, the effect. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the strategy they, they embraced. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, that I think, yeah, you can get used to anything. And there were probably there was probably a um, a demographic of people who were like, "This is this is weird. I don't know if it's good, but it's yeah. it's, uh, strange. it's very classy of you to step aside just as you were poised to pass Dave Cameron on the all time list of Fangraphs posts. I think you were yeah. something like seventy seven away, and uh, yet you didn't insist that you hang on long enough to take the top spot. Well, yeah, I started I thought about getting a pillow contract <laughs> yeah. with the uh, with the Kansas City Royals, <laughs> but uh, that did not materialize. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, no, it was. Uh, not really something I thought about. Plus, to be fair, like a lot of the those posts accredited to mm-hmm. me are just chats I set up for Dan Zimborski <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that are under my name. Yeah, certainly. Um, the, so if you were to the look, like actually, of those posts, <laughs> perhaps right. Yeah. yeah, they would be measured. I think like probably like Jeff has uh, surpassed me in terms of posts that people care about. Um, like long time ago, probably. So yeah, yeah. yeah. The the last thing, uh, the actual last thing I wanted to ask you because the, you're. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the answer. So I'm a, you, you basically got it. So what's the question? What's the question? What is a what is a human fart sound like? <laughs> so so I, this, this, this isn't just like like leaving one one job for another. People float around all the time, and you know if uh, if you ever were to say leave the Blue Jays and join another baseball team, then that would be different from from this. And one of the things that's that's been clearly true is that for all the people who have left Fangraphs in, in the past calendar year or so, it the, for the most part they've all agonized over the decision because it is such a such a unicorn place to work. And this this isn't just a question to talk about how great Fangraphs is, but mm-hmm. how much did it weigh on you, or maybe does it continue to weigh on you, to leave a site that is run in the way that it's run in sort of a, a bo- little boutique website. And, you know, for for each impactful absence, and, and your absence is impactful, it, it makes the site a little bit worse, a little bit less successful. So how, how much does that weigh on you in, in making this decision to advance your career? A bunch. Yeah, sure. A bunch. I think that's, you know, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of the, um, I mean, certainly part of the allure of the site is that um, you have a lot of sort of uh, a lot of the people who write for it or or wherever they probably have a greater this sounds like a business term they have greater buy-in right because it's um you do you feel like you're actually like there there is a collaborative sort of spirit and also i mean david appleman is kind of uh, a unique boss man um in the sense that um you know if you have like real concerns i mean i remember like when my son was being born you know before that like I had been like, you know, what should we do for paternity leave? And he was like, eh, take as much time as you need, you know, which is not like, that's not like something you find in a lot of a- HR documentation. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's it's uh, certainly been a pleasure to, you know, to have to, you know, to benefit from that. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, uh, I was talking with Haveman today, though, and it's like, uh, somehow uh, we happened upon a college basketball metaphor about like, you know, like yeah, like some people have gone on from fan graphs, and 
I guess some of them are one and done, you know, and uh, some of them are four year, four year college players. Like was it Denzel Valentine from Michigan State who finally finally was deemed worthy of the NBA draft after his senior year? And like I feel like I'm a four year player. Do you know what I mean? So you know, it's uh, at a certain point you like you have you, you you do go on to something else because then maybe that makes sense for all parties involved too. You know, like that worked out well. Yeah. And uh, let's see what you can do. And, you know, to some degree, you become an alumnus of a place, and then you go represent it well, hopefully. All right. Well, I guess we'd better let you get on to something else then. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks to the rest of your household for also appearing on this podcast. And uh, (laughs) you will be missed. And I think your, uh, your distinctive prose will not be replicated, and your capacity to quote philosophers probably will not be replicated anytime soon but you have uh, fulfilled your obligation to fangraphs hey guys thanks so much well i just went back and read carson's first post for fangraphs which i will link to and the very first line is warning what follows is very nearly about baseball which i think is a pretty appropriate first line for carson's fangraphs career i imagine that his blue jays career will be more about baseball Okay, that will do it for today and for this week. Last word, most likely, on the giving more than 100% topic. One of our listeners and Patreon supporters, Daniel Lovett, created a Tableau display that lists the relative frequencies of all of the invocations of giving more than 100%. So you can see via Google results whether it is more common to have 101% or 110%. There are bubbles that show the different sizes. There are counts for each one. Whatever we talk about something like this, some listener goes above and beyond and creates some sort of visualization for it. So I will link to that if you are interested. And as mentioned on the previous episode, listener Zach Wenkos is organizing a Secret Santa activity for this holiday season. I will link to that as well in the show page and in the Facebook group. He's just taking everyone's names. He will match everyone up. And then the idea is that everyone will give each other inexpensive baseball-themed gifts. Should be a nice way of promoting fellowship in the Effectively Wild community. Speaking of which, you can support this podcast and its community by pledging on Patreon at patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Following five listeners have already done so. Emma Eschenfeldt, Andrew Daniels, Jacob Nathan, Jeanette Schultz, and Jacob Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. And please keep your questions and comments for me and Jeff coming via email at podcastfangrass.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. So have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back to talk to you early next week. So this is your number. Well, I'll just call to say hello. I was blurting, you were blurting, we were talking in Morse code We just got cut off or disconnected, I don't know But it's Christmas time, Christmas time in Toronto We've got this power to generalize when everything explodes The certainty of our unknown, your children's unknown You're gonna let us in, though you're technically closed Must be Christmas time, Christmas time in These uh, these kids are these kids are little miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Not always in the good way. But I think that that's one of the big misconceptions about miracles is that they're good.
Like, <laughs> that just means they're rare, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. It's a, it's a miracle. Yeah, right. Like Chris Davis's 2018, sort of a miracle, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the bad one, not the one who hit 247 again, which is also a miracle. But that's neither good nor bad. That's just kind of a thing. That's that a happened. thing, yeah. I mean, he he would probably prefer to hit uh, better than 247, but he's like a fine player while hitting 247. That's Is that the uh, sort of expert insight you're bringing to the Blue Jays? <laughs> yeah. 